Hi, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. I just want to welcome you to this Bible study. This Bible study is on a subject that is very controversial, but I think that it's important to do this one because of the justification of the use of marijuana. Now, as a Christian, um, there are been so many prohibitions um, that I've grew up with, and I have challenged them in a lot of different ways, uh, hearing what people say and then reading what the Bible says. So this is what um, it boils down to. It really boils down to what a person wants to do or justify or try to make Scripture say what it says or try to make it say what it doesn't say. So this is very interesting. And so the, in this podcast video, I'm going to be to try to cover this in, a, in multiple categories. I just don't want to come off it as as being prudish or being completely um, deify or not deifying, tr completely saying that everything is subject to a certain standard of tradition. Um, this is something that needs to be examined. And so I've done a lot of study on this. I've waited to do this video for a long time. So I'm naming this video Unholy Smoke. And the reason why I'm naming this video this is because I wouldn't say these, I wouldn't give a title like this if I didn't have anything to use in scripture to say what it, exactly it is. And that's what I do as a Bible teacher and as a pastor is to be able to tell people the truth, the raw truth, exactly what it is, even if you don't like it, because it's exactly how God deals with us. We can't um, get upset at the fact that God says or deems something to be um, moral or immoral, sinful. This is something that God says what it is. Now, I'm going to go through a, um, a few categories, but the very first uh, thing I want to do is to read an article that was um, that is kind of used as a justification of what people want to maybe have justified or wanted to make sure that that's what they promote um, versus something that what God promotes. So let me just read this article to you, and then this way we can kind of start here. Now, this is an article that was written in May 30th, 2020, so last year. The bold uh, title says, First High, Ancient Israelites at Biblical Shrine Use Cannabis to Spark Ecstasy. Researchers find resin on the altar at Tel Arad is marijuana mixed with animal dung used 2,700 years ago as deliberate psychoactive first evidence of ritual cannabis use, use in religion or use in region. Sorry. Israeli researchers examined residue on the altar from a biblical era shrine in southern Israel have found it contained a mixture of cannabis and animal dung likely intended to stimulate ecstasy in Israelite worshippers, and said it can constitutes the earliest known use of marijuana in the region. The discovery also suggests cannabis may have been use, used in rituals at the temple in Jerusalem, the researchers intimated. Clumps of organic material were found in hollows of the altar of two altars that stood at the entrance uh, to the heart at a, of a shrine at Tel Arad, a fortress mound from the kingdom of Judah that was excavated by Israeli architects between 1962 
1967. The materials were investigated at the time, but the technology was not available to accurately identify them. So researchers, I'll leave that name unread, of the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem reconducted the examination, publishing their findings on Thursday in Tel Aviv. The Academic Journal of Tel Aviv University Institute of Archaeology, material on the smaller limestone altar from the Iron Age era shrine believed to have been in use around 760 to 715 BCE, and tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, along with an unspecified animal dung likely used to burn the cannabis, the study said. The paper noted that because the fragrance of marijuana does not lend itself to use as incense, it was almost certainly burned for its drug properties. Arad provides the earliest evidence for the use of cannabis in the ancient Near East. Hallucinogenic substances are known from various neighboring cultures, but this is the first known evidence of hallucinogenic substance found in the kingdom of Judah, the study said. The use of other psychoactive materials is also well known in ancient Near Eastern and Aegean cultures since prehistory. It seems likely that the cannabis was used at Arad as a deliberate psychoactive to stimulate ecstasy as a part of cultic ceremonies. If so, this is the first such evidence in the cult of Judah. The use of the dung, which burns at relatively a low temperature, also indicates that the organizers knew what they were doing. To induce a high, you need the right temperature, that they clearly knew this well, just as they knew which fuel to use for each substance. The researchers said the finds opens a window into the religious practices of the First Temple era and suggest that cannabis could have played a role in rituals at the temple in Jerusalem. Noting that the Arad Fortress was a scaled-down version of the biblical description of King Solomon's temple. Today, The Arad Shrine was compared to the first temple in Jerusalem, and it seems that the two indeed share similar architecture characteristics. The Arad Shrine was compared to the first temple in Jerusalem, and it seemed that two indeed shared similar architectural characteristics, e.g. the east-west access and the division of the architectural spaces, the researchers wrote. This may allude to similarity in cultic rituals performed in these structures. The researchers said that as no cannabis seeds of pollen have been found during excavations in the region, the substances most likely was transported to the area in the form of dry resin or hashish. On the larger altar, which, like the smaller one, is now at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, residue of frankincense was found, which the study noted was often burned as incense in cult activities. Here, too, marks the first known use of the spice for worship, which should have had to be brought to the region through a trade from Arabia, the study found. Arad presents the earliest known identification of frankincense in a clear cultic context. They said of the resin, best known from the New Testament as one of the gifts brought by the Magi after the birth of Jesus. Animal fat was also found on the altar. And Mark. 
animal fat was also found on that altar, apparently to generate a higher heat needed to evaporate the frankincense. To avoid cross-contamination, the samples were each tested twice at separate labs. I'm not going to say where. So that's pretty much the whole article. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up, because this is the charge. Okay. Now, what is, what is this article specifically trying to do? This article has given... Um, I really don't like how it's written and only because it is giving you a an idea in how to think about it. They project onto you the, the article, the, the, the person who wrote it has a projection, it's projecting on you that it was specifically done intentional and or it was connected to what we consider um, specifically Jews consider a, a something that's very holy, something that is from God, and then they're bringing in this psychoactive drug uh, to get high, and it mentions the words ecstasy. There's just this article is just, um, and, and all the articles that I have read about it, they say the same thing. It is um, they're calling it like a like a farce, like you know, they're they're it is a, a religion that has forced its values on the world. And then we find out that they're doing marijuana or they're doing cannabis because they're, you know, denouncing all things that, um, that are immoral to the world. And they're saying that it's wrong. And, and I can understand where this is coming from because this is, this is like a, they're, they're trying to use this as a springboard to say that religion is false or that the Judeo, uh, Christian religion is false, and, and this is one more thing is what we thought, that they're deviants and they're also hypocrites. So this is the flavor that I am reading this in. And for those who are who have read this article, who know about this article, um, it doesn't really matter to me which way you think uh, and which way you perceive this. I'm about ready to prove to you in uh, from history, from science, um, from uh, scripture, um, just in morality, in Jesus's words, in God's words, and the very culture that God created uh, in Israel for him being their God and, and the Israelites being God's people. I'm going to rock solidly prove to you that this is not what this article is trying to say. I'm going to do the Christian apologetics that, um, that I believe that God has blessed me with. And I don't get this passionate um, unless it's something that is somehow, some way, trying to lie on Scripture, lie on God, and trying to somehow um, take the faith that I believed in my whole life and trying to make it a farce or trying to make it some kind of a um, dumb it down and, and seem like the people who believe in it are just stupid. Um, this is what I do. And so I want you to put your seatbelts on, tighten up your wig, because it's about ready to get blown back. All right, here we go. Now I'm going to start off in the book of Malachi, um, only because this is the last book of the closing of the Hebrew Bible canon. Now the book of Malachi was written in 432 to 424 BCE. This is before the birth of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about 400 years here. Now, the, the, the since there's no prophet or no word from God in this period of time um, is very important to try to understand and the history in between that period of time. 
Now, a lot of us Christians don't know that history, and we don't even bother to ask what happened in between that period of time. Now, of course, I researched all of this, and I thought that this was a really good article that I found. I'm not going to give you the, the website, but you can look for it yourself. This is very simple, very basic information that I'm about to read. And I think this person who answers this does a very good job. The older scriptures contain, number one, prophecy, which validates its message, and number two, history, which reveals God and the sinful nature and character of men and women. Throughout the scriptures, God was revealing himself. But the most important reason for the Old Testament is to teach us who the Messiah would be and why he would come. During the 400 years of silence, also called the intertestamental period, God was active in world history causing major political and military events to occur, as he had predicted in the book of Daniel. During this time, the nation of Greece came to power and was conquered by Rome. God had predicted this. It was now countdown time to the coming of Messiah. The nation of Israel was undergoing change. The Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes came to position of influence. Israel was looking for Messiah. The stage was set for Jesus to come. I thought that was a very good uh, short answer. And the reason why I'm not going to go deep into that is because it is important that we focus on what's at hand. The intertestamental period is what it's called it. So that's what I want to go into. Now, for those who don't know this, it has been chronicled in the book of Maccabees. Now, I don't, I'm not a big subscriber to uh, extra biblical writings, but this is one of the only books, uh, or at least writings that we know of that chronicled the time and the history of that intertestamental period between the, the closing of the Hebrew canon of Scripture and the birth of Christ. Now, some of the things that took place there, as it mentioned here, is the uh, the land that and, and the kingdom of uh, Israel, and you have um, this issue with um, who the kings are, what they were doing. But I want to be able to use scripture so that we can get an idea of what the last word of Malachi was to God's people. Now, now I looked this um, article up in a Jewish encyclopedia, and so this is very interesting. So the the book of Malachi, of course, is the very last book, okay, of the Hebrew canon. Now, one of the things that it says in there, if you read it for yourself, it's not a very long book, but this is the commentary that this particular website gives for, and I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to just read some and and the headings. So here it says contents. It says, represents Yahweh as ruler and loving father. It opens with a tender allusion to the love shown by Yahweh to Judah in the past. Yet Judah acted faithlessly, deserting its benefactor. Malachi then addresses himself to the priests, those who are to lead the people in the way of Yahweh. He castigates them for being derelict in their duty by offering on Yahweh's altars polluted bread and animals that have blemishes. By doing 
so they show that they despise Yahweh. But Yahweh can do without their worship, for the time will come when the whole heathen world will worship him. If the priests will not heed the admonition, dire punishment will be vis- visited upon them. And it says chapters 10 through 17 speaks of Yahweh as the supreme God and father of all. The prophetic tone. Malachi, as opposed to the other prophetical books, lays much stress upon ceremonial observances. The priest is Yahweh's messenger, and the law of Moses, with its statutes and observances, must be strictly observed. Yet he is not a formalist. The book breeds the genuine prophetic spirit. Thus, from the idea of the brotherhood of all Israelites, he deduces the social duties which they owe to one another, ceremonial observances of value in his eyes only so long as it leads to spiritual service. In scathing language, he lays bare the moral degeneracy of his time, a time given over to adultery, false swearing, oppression of the hireling, and the widow and the fatherless. Especially severe is he toward those who had entered into wedlock with heathen women. The conditions existed under his predecessor Haggai and Zechariah seems to have existed at the time of Malachi. The exile is a matter of the past. The temples built and sacrifices are being offered. Malachi describes most faithfully the temper of his generation. The people had stayed away from Yahweh and sought by an assumption of indifference and by mockery to hide their restlessness. The exiles had been disillusioned when they found the land of their fathers a wilderness. Drought, locust, failure of harvest had deepened their discontent. Yahweh's sanctuary had been rebuilt, but still their condition did not improve. They were growing impatient and were asking for proofs of Yahweh's love. Under the pressure of these unfavorable circumstances, priests and people neglected to show Yahweh the honor due to him. Malachi lays stress upon the inevitableness of the Day of Judgment, the coming of which would prove to the skeptical that devotion and fear of God are not in vain, but it will be rewarded. The messenger of Yahweh and the last judgment from the closing theme of Malachi's prophecy, the messenger will come in the person of Elijah, who will regenerate the people and restore them to union with Yahweh. So I want to read to you the last couple scriptures of Malachi chapter 4, and I think this is very interesting, and it will set the precedence and tone for the rest of this Bible study. Verse 4 says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I command him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now I want you to bear with me, because this is very important, and I know that sometimes when reading other extra-biblical writings, it's hard to intake, only because we're so used to reading the Bible. But in this case, in the intertestamental period, there is no um, Bible There's no um, scriptures that are breathed by God from the prophets or from anybody else that's writing. But this history corroborates with world history, and I think this is important 
So we either hear um, the intertestamental period from Jews who actually were there and had to deal with the oppression, or we hear it from the oppressors, which are from the Greeks and from the Romans. And in all, in all honesty, I would probably rather hear it from both sides, but I would I would probably like to hear it from the ones that are oppressed, which are the Jews at this time. Now, remember the very last thing that that Malachi told them to do was to observe the laws that God had given them. And that's a very important statement to make. And and I would say that that's where a lot of this is going to hang on to because that is exactly what the Torah says to do. Now, the Torah is God's law, and this is something they cannot deviate from. Otherwise, it no longer is the Torah. It is now their own interpretation of what they want to do versus what God wants them to do. So, just bear with me, and I'm going to read some of First Maccabees, and this is verse, now, where I want to read, now this is, I just want to read the first few scriptures here in the in the first a part of chapter 1, one if that's how they call it, because I've never read this book um, prior to this. But then in, you, when we're going to go down into verse 41, but I definitely want to read um, the first few here. Okay, so in the beginning of Maccabees 1, it says, The history begins when Alexander the Great, son of Philip of Macedonia, marched from Macedonia and attacked Darius, king of Persia and Media. Alexander enlarged the Greek empire by defeating Darius and seizing his throne. He fought many battles, captured fortified cities, and put the kings of the region to death. As he advanced to the ends of the earth, he plundered many nations, and when he had conquered the world, he became proud and arrogant. By building up a strong army, he dominated whole nations and their rulers and forced everyone to pay him taxes. Now, what I just read to you is you could find this in any history book about Alexander the Great. This is something that the Maccabees are recording as they saw it. This is this is absolutely corroborating with world history, on a um, on a level of where everybody can agree. It is completely objective material. Now, this is the reason why I'm reading it is because this is coming from Jews themselves, and so there is a history of the Maccabees. I'm not going to go into that. You can read about or you can watch videos on how the Maccabees came about. But this is the, this is real history. This is something that you could find anywhere if you're doing that kind of study and you like history. This is pertaining to the intertestamental period between the book of Malachi and the birth of Christ. Now let's scroll down in Maccabees 1 down to verse 41. And this is where... I want to be able to try to give you some background so that you can understand where I'm going. Now, there's other things that happen in between the time of Alexander. And there's other things that happened after Alexander died. Okay, so there, like I said, I'm not trying to give you a history lesson on Alexander, but I just want to be able to stick to the intertestamental period, which is going to be very, very important to this podcast. Now, verse 41 says, Antiochus now issued a decree that all nations in his empire should abandon their own customs and become one people. All the Gentiles and even many of the Israelites submitted to this decree. They adopted the official pagan religion, offered sacrifices to idols, 
and no longer observed the Sabbath. Verse 44, The king also sent messengers with a decree to Jerusalem and to all towns of Judea, ordering the people to follow customs that were foreign to the country. He ordered them not to offer burnt offerings, grain offerings, or wine offerings in the temple, and commanded them to treat Sabbath and festivals as ordinary work days. They were even ordered to defile the temple and the holy things in it. They were commanded to build pagan altars, temples, and shrines, and to sacrifice pigs and other unclean animals there. They were forbidden to circumcise their sons and were required to make themselves ritually unclean in every way they could, so that they would forget the law which the Lord had given through Moses and would disobey all its commands. Verse 50, the penalty for disobeying the king's decree was death. The king not only issued the same decree throughout the whole empire, but he also appointed officials to supervise the people and commanded each town in Judea to offer pagan sacrifices. Many of the Jews were ready to forsake the law and to obey these officials. They defiled the land with their evil, and their conduct forced all true Israelites to hide wherever they could. Now, there's a lot more to read when it comes to Maccabees. I'm not going to belabor you with all of this information, but if you really want to know some of the things that happen as far as history, objective history, the Maccabees has that history in it. Now, when it comes to spiritual matters uh, and different things, I mean, that, those things, that I'm, that's not what I'm here to cover. I'm not here to sit there and say that what they believe and what they write is not true when it comes to spiritual matters or what their faith is in, in God. What I am saying is is that, that this objective history about Alexander and about the kings that came after that ruled this uh, area of, um, of Israel the northern and southern kingdom, and here it talks about the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And the reason why it's important that I that I name Judah in these writings is because that's where the temple is in Jerusalem, the the main temple, the temple, the first and second temple. So the first temple was destroyed, and the second temple was rebuilt in the contemporaries of Malachi, which is Nehemiah. Um, he's the wall builder, so there's history there. If you know your Bible, you know what I'm saying. And then you have this aspect, the internet, intertestamental period, is because there's nothing written from a Jewish Jewish perspective or even a Judeo-Christian perspective except for the Maccabees. Now, there was other um, others that wrote uh, in this period of time, of course, in antiquity. But like I said, you could either read their story or you could read this story. It makes sense what I just read to you about what was going on at the time of the intertestamental period because God left them alone for 400 years. Why? Is because of what we read in Malachi, what the priests were doing. They were giving sacrifices that were blemished and they were just doing things that they knew that they weren't supposed to do. So regardless of what um, what I'm about to um reveal to you in, in in this video podcast that I want you to know that the the priests in the temple were already in a deviant state. They were already allowing things and they're the ones that are supposed to keep things in order. They're the ones that, that God entrusted the, the priesthood to is to be able to keep this in order. 
But if you're starting at the top and then the priests are deviating, well, what do you think the people are doing? If they're allowing certain things to happen, well, what do you think the people are doing? Which is why a prophet comes and says the truth. And when the truth is not adhered to, and then judgment falls, it's exactly what's going to happen. Now, given the history of the Jews, there is there would be a, a time of great plenty, prosperity, and then apostasy follows, and then the prophets follow, and then when that's not adhered to, then there's judgment that follows, and then there's exile. Okay? So this is something I think that is important to understand that when the Greeks came in, this was a period of the Hellenizing or the Hellenistic era of that region, which is Judea, or in this case, it is about Israel. So now, and, and this is the very first time you hear, you're hearing the word Hellenize or Hellenistic and you've always wondered what it was. This is the, the, the progression of a foreign power occupying the promised land. And this isn't the first time because it's like a merry-go-round of foreign rule that would invade Israel, take them over, and send them into exile. And so we know of, of at least three exiles. We know that there's Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and there are other ones that are said to be exiles, but we know that what we read and the, in the book of Daniel, it chronicles that as well. So, you know, like I said, it's hard not to go into the history of all of this and, and trying to talk about this, but the point I'm, I want to stick to and I want to try to continue moving forward in the same genre here is that Israel has been dominated more than once. Now, the fact that that has happened, they have taken on to be able to get along sociably. They have deviated from what they know to be that's of the law, that's of the Torah. And when you have the priests doing it, then the people will follow the leadership. Now, for the most part, Israel has had has kings in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. But if you think about it, the kings are subject even to the Torah and the priests because it was a self-autonomous type um, governing system because the priests are the ones that would would take on the, the, the sin aspect of the people and then they would take that to the Lord and they would do the sacrifices and all these things had to be pure because it was unto God. But the king was right along with the people, but he was definitely, it was definitely a, a monarchy type government system, but it was really the priests. So if you have deviant priests, you'd have to have a deviant king because even the king had sin. The priests had sin. So then still the, the system of the sacrificial system in the temple was still at the top. Now, like I said, when that deviates, that's when you know that Israel is in a bad place. Now, because Malachi spoke of this deviance, the the judgments, of course, were more than likely going to happen. Now, when God did not, there was no way of, or there, God did not communicate with his people in that 400-year intertestinal period. So what happens when you don't hear from God? 
well, you have to kind of self, you be self-governing. And if you're self-governing and you already are, Malachi's already saying that the priests are deviating, well, what do you think's going to, it's just going to continue and get worse. And so the temple aspect is very, very important here. And, and I'm going to get to this. Okay. And I, and I have to say all these things. Now, speaking about Antiochus, which was the ruler of that region, he actually came into play because the previous king was not getting the results. So they brought in Antiochus because he was more of a wicked ruler. He wanted things to get done immediately, and he did. There are there are the some Jews, not just Messianic Jews, but there are some Jews that look at Antiochus as an antichrist. And I'm not saying that in the way of where it is like in the book of Revelations, because Jews believe in, in the Antichrist, but it's basically anti-Messiah is the way they look at it. Now, they looked at as Antiochus and everything that he did. If you, if you listen to what I read in the book of Maccabees, this is the reason why they looked at him as an anti-Messiah, someone who was going to come in there and turn everything upside down, and he did. Now, one of the things that I want to... Um, point out here is that in the period, and you could do the study yourself, in the period of this intertestamental years before Christ, there was a this progression of when Antiochus tried to get a certain group of a family, which were the Maccabees, is why this is called the Maccabees, a family and you could read the story in, in, in Maccabeus, and, and you can kind of read for yourself that of, that eventually the, the father died during this process, but a son that stepped up, he was nicknamed the Hammer. Now, the Hammer came in, and he literally got everybody on board who wanted to fight against the Greeks and to stomp out this Hellenistic era that was desecrating the temple, leading people astray. But there was only a few holdouts, and the Maccabees were a holdout from this rule, this this wicked rule, and they decided we're not going to take it. And so they were on the run at first. They gained momentum, and eventually they crushed the Hellenistic aspect of this oppressive, wicked rule and they stomped out it, it completely for, for the most part, about 99% of it. And so right around 120 years or maybe 130 years prior to the birth of Jesus Christ, they literally stomped out this regime and they took their, their land back and, and they took the temple back and they reinstituted the Law. They reinstituted the the temple and the priestly aspect in the sacrificial system back to what it was before. And you could read all of this in history. This is you don't just have to take my word for it. All of this actually happened, and a lot of Christians don't know that this actually took place. So I truly believed that God allowed the Maccabees and their fight for freedom to regain their land, to regain their belief and to reinstitute what God had originally had said to do in the Torah. 
God allowed that to happen. And this was less, right around less than 130 or 120 years prior to the birth of Christ, where by the time when Jesus was born, now think about this, by the time Jesus was born, after everything that the Jews had gone through, not hearing from God for 400 years, the last prophet was saying that, you know, the priests and the, and the sacrificial system was, was going astray. He was warning them. By that time, they regained their homeland, they regained their religion, they regained the temple, and they regained the sacrificial system for sin. They were ready for Messiah. Their hearts were desiring and were ready for Messiah. They were conditioned. Now, God has a way of doing things in the panoramic view. But I also believe that Antiochus was a foreshadow and a type of the Antichrist, which is to come. I think that's interesting. Now, to end on this particular video podcast, one of the things I want to at least um, give you and leave you with before I start the next um, video podcast is that the Hellenistic Jews, they are still named in the New Testament, and they're still around. And there's speculation that the Hellenistic Jews, the, the remnants of that was left over from what they actually believed, and like I said, you could do the research on them, and what they actually believe, ended up being and developing in, developing into the Sadducees. And so um, this is one thing that um, a lot of people wondered where the Sadducees and Pharisees came from. Um, there are There is a history of, of aristocratic Jews, the ones who had a lot of money and that were kind of like capitalized on the narrative I just gave you. And eventually the belief system, because the Sadducees and Pharisees differed on certain beliefs, and they were divided, um, specifically in resurrection, and there were other things as well. But the Hellenization of, of Israel was a gigantic uh, paganistic um, test for the Israelites, and I believe and truly believe in my heart that God had allowed the Maccabees to overcome and their decisive defeats over the Greeks, because you got to remember, the Greeks were, they conquered everybody. Alexander the Great conquered everybody, and their militaristic might was, could not be penetrated and could not be beaten, but God has allowed a very, a handful of only a couple of thousand men to destroy the Macedonian army, which is an amazing miracle in itself. Now, where you can find the, um, the remnants of the Hellenistic period or the Hellenists, um, the Jews, you could find them in the book of Acts. Um, and this is so that you're, so you can kind of see where that what I'm saying is true. And I'm not just making this up because I know it's foreign to most of you. But then you have to understand there's that intertestamental period where we just don't have scripture. So there, for people who read the Bible, they don't know that these things took place. Um, I suggest that you, um, watch videos or read about the intertestamental period and about the Maccabees and about these uh the Hellenistic period is very interesting. It's kind of sad, but God has overcome and he uses um, people to do the work that is necessary according to how he allows things to take place in world history. Now in Acts chapter six, verse one it says, Now in those days the when the number of the disciples were was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists became their because their widows were not neglect were neglected in the daily distribution. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 29 reads, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Okay, and then Acts chapter 11, verse 20, it says, But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. So, um, preaching of, of the Lord Jesus. So this is, um, I want to show you, give you scripture to show you that, that this is in the Bible and that it is a remnant of, from a la, uh, the, the last part of what I was reading you. And then that it took um, right around 100 to uh, 20 and 130 years to, right before Jesus was born, how it gave that period of time, God gave that period of time for the Jews to reinstitute everything that he had given them. Okay, so I'm going to end on this note here for this Frank's Bible study, and then I'm going to start a part two so that we can get right into the very beginning when we talked about the cannabis found on the altar of incense. Okay, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible study. Amen.